and welcome to the show. This is Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Thank you for joining me today, this Tuesday morning in lovely, sunny Sydney. And uh, we are live on the Triple H 100.1 FM studios and also broadcast across the community radio network around Australia. Thanks for joining me today. We are in the middle of a guest fest here at Small Biz. Anybody who listens to the show regularly will know that we've got great guests lined up talking about all topics, over 130 podcasts available to download on the website and 70 on iTunes. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and get educated. Now, today's show is also another piece all about small business education, and it's a topic that we all need to be aware of, regardless of how big our business is. So, you know, you run a small team, you think to yourself, I'm a small business. Well, of course, it depends which level of government you're talking to as to what size you are. But in your mind, you run a small business, you're a small team. And so it doesn't really matter how your team operates or functions or if it works cohesively. It couldn't possibly affect your bottom line and staff turnover is never an issue for small business. Well, I think I just answered my own question about today's program. It doesn't matter the size of your team. Managing even just a one-man band, managing yourself takes knowledge, training and experience. So to answer all the issues relating to team management... We're talking today to Jim Davidson. He's a performance coach who's passionate about working with leaders to build better teams so collectively they can achieve better results. As Jim says, great teams create profitable and valuable organisations. Great culture creates a competitive advantage and team chemistry. Welcome to the show, Tim. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for coming today. Now, we have been talking about having you on the program for, I don't know, about oh, a year and a half. Yeah, at least two years. <laughs> two ships passing in the night. It's great to have a local small business talking all about things that are, I guess, um, not just on a, a small business sphere because you also work in the executive coaching space and you work with larger organisations. Do you think it's really important that the community, the small business community, firstly, has access to people such as yourself who can distill that information down from the corporate world into small business? Why is there even any sort of a, I guess, why is there any crossover at all? Yeah, I think the I think the crossover comes from budget, and uh, and a lot of people believe that the 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 investment in teams is is really something that the big corporates can throw their money at. But whether you've got a team of two or a team of twenty or a team of hundred, the the, the investment's got to be uh, something that you're going to return on. And uh, and so yeah, I think that's where we're now starting to see a lot more in the small business space and, and an orientation around teams. Do you think that return on investment it, that that's sort of something that's bandied around quite a lot yeah. in, in the larger business world because they actually want to see tangible results. Do we need to think of that more in small business? Do you think in our culture of, of thinking and growth? Yeah, look, I think it's actually more vital. I think mm-hmm. I think the return on investment for a small business owner who who hasn't uh, who's actually invested their own money mm-hmm. and their their own time, their own effort, and their own sweat and blood and tears into it, uh, it's actually even more important. So it's their livelihood that are on the line with the money. So if we're talking about ROI with with team investing in your team culture. We'll get to we'll get to what actually team culture is in a moment, but. How do you quantify that, um, I guess, that, that return? How do you say to yourself, well, this has been a success or not been a success? When you are talking about people, how do you see that? I mean, what, what, what are some good tangible strategies that people can say, oh, okay, that worked and that didn't work? Yeah, so I think the key thing is, um, is sales and profitability. There, you know, there, there is a very, very clear link between the, the profitability of an organisation and the performance of its team. Uh, we also look at customer customer returns so, or, or customer uh, yeah customer return rates, mm. uh, but also their um, the the feedback that they give. So your net promoter score, for example, would be a really good way of seeing how your team is performing. Could you just explain what a net promoter score is? That your um, likes or your um, stars on a particular rating website? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's as simple as a, 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 a one one question saying you know how likely would you 
you be to recommend your family and friends to your business? And uh, and it's a scale of one to ten, and it's simple as uh, one or ten, and uh, and and depending on the, their response, how likely. Uh, and we really want to be sitting on that seven, eights, and nines uh, mm. to know that we're growing our business. And so, in a way, if you're thinking about making some sort of an investment in your team culture or, or you're looking at sort of team building or, or getting a better return on investment from your staff, do you need to have those stats beforehand? Like, is it really important that you have a, a base level to know how well it's improved? And yeah, what absolutely. I, I mean, I recommend that there's uh, there's actually seven or eight stats that you look at. So, um, and so, yes, I think it's very important to get a, a baseline, uh, a benchmark to work from. And, and not all of those statistics are going to be applicable to every business. Mm. However, you're going to definitely be able to track the progress. Um, and, and, you know, that is sales, that's profitability, that's productivity. Uh, and then you start looking at the employment employee engagement scores, uh, employee satisfaction scores, and also even the business owner's satisfaction levels. But you can still do those surveys if there's only a team of a handful? Because I'm, I'm, my brain's going, yeah, that's very corporate speak because mm. you're talking about teams of 100 and then you can average that out. But we can't, it's hard to average out something when there's only a team of three. Yeah, but I think it's it's actually important to do it with a team of three because what we, f- what we tend to find is that the relationship between the business owner and the team of three becomes very casual. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you have a lot of informal conversations, but we don't formalise it, which actually is the piece that makes the change. Yeah. And that's how you can work out your ROI to begin with, I suppose. Absolutely. So let's talk about, um, and this is good for those of you out there who are small businesses who have never really thought about performance management and how it applies to your business. Now let's talk about, I guess, the myths of performance management. What, What is it not? What is it not? Uh, Performance management is not a discipline. Performance management is not just performance reviews, right? And that's the big, uh, the big mystery. Most people hear performance management and the term performance management, and uh, you know, cold sweat comes over them. Uh, they they think that's very corporatey and it's all about discipline. So we don't talk about it. Um, what's misunderstood is what it actually is. So we got we got a bit of a conflicting set of information coming here because. I think um, the general business community has become more tapped in with HR because of, yes. <laughs> thank you, Fair Work, uh, because of the Fair Work Ombudsman and them really cracking down on, um, you know, conditions, pay, frequency, superannuation, all those things. We've all become very concerned and paranoid about um, workplace conditions, but that's not necessarily performance management, is it? We're kind of being told you've got to have KPIs, you've got to have, you know, three strikes and you're out. Um, You've got to be able to clearly indicate whether or not it's an unfair or a fair dismissal. Um, do you think that's the wrong end of the stick when it comes to, to actually managing a team? Yes, I do. I think I think the compliance side, of which what you've just spoken about there, is all about compliance. So it's about ticking this box, making sure we're doing all the correct things to ensure we don't get in strife from the from the authorities. Mm-hmm. What we're actually talking about here is engaging with the people and the teams and 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 looking at it from a totally different perspective. Um, and it really falls if you want to use the corporate speak, it falls more under the, rather than the compliance and the IR side, it falls into the organisational development. So it's it's about the the development of the teams and the organisation as a whole. Right. So it's not your KPIs and it's not your conversations and all those things. It's actually more about is it is it quite holistic and and a little bit? Can you put it in a business plan? Like yeah, yeah, you actually plan? can. So it is it is about the KPIs, but it's it's it, the KPI is simply a result. Uh-huh. Um, it's about the behaviour. 
it's about it's about the workplace behaviour and what have we what do we do to actually get the result. So the so the the uh, the very first thing I do is shift the focus away from the KPI. Mm. We must have them so there's something to measure, but it's about. What what behaviours? What 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 values do you, as a business owner, uh, w- what would you like to see in your business? And connecting that to the ultimate day to day activity of what your staff do. And do you have to think about those values and things anyway when you're talking about KPIs, or is that still very um, process driven and it's more ticking boxes? Whereas you know your values and the way you operate is is a different kettle of fish. Like you said, it's more operational rather than compliance. Yeah, look, I, I think it is operational, but I think it's very much around. Uh, you know, we're all you know we're all effectively in business to make money. Um, the difference is about how we go about making it, and that's the performance management mm. and and the team building and stuff. As Absolutely. Well. So the team building, it's it's the team engagement, um, it's the it's the motivation of the team, it's the recruitment of the team, yeah. and it's making sure we've got the right people in the business and the right people in the within the business in the right right seats within the business. So that segues nicely to what I was going to ask you about the seven steps yes. of performance management, which to me think of it, like, I see quite, that seems like a lot of steps, but really it's quite just uh, chronological, the way that you engage with these people. That's exactly right. Yeah, so take very... me through what the seven steps are. So we start with recruitment. Um, funny that. Yeah, funny that. We hire. <laughs> Logical. Um, and, and really before recruitment, we actually have, uh, you know, we've got to be, uh, for, for, have a reputation as being a good employer, um, particularly a local community. Uh, you know, you, you, you have a reputation, people know you, you hire, you know, Know, the local butcher's son or the you know the the local accountants uh, you know you might coach their child in, uh, in in hockey or baseball or something and uh, and so you know you, you have to have a reputation so yeah. if you if you're not a good employer um, from the perspective of dealing with your team and treating your people well you're not going to attract the great people that are going to sit, sit in your business so the recruitment set selection process is absolutely vital so in a way I love your connection there with community because so many small businesses live eat sleep breathe their local community and they support community groups and that sort of thing. Absolutely. That's really interesting that there's a connection there between the relationships that you have with community and your reputation. Even though if you've never hired before, yes. there's your hiring reputation is Absolutely. how you behave in the community. Yeah, and do people want to work with you? Yeah. Uh, work for you? Yeah. Are yeah. you a nice person? Yeah. And, and do you treat people well? Do you treat them fairly? Do you you know, do you, um, you know, do you protect them? Do you look after them? Um, do you recognise their uh, their abilities and their wins and their successes? Mm, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, job design. Job What's design. That? Well, that's all. That's all about um, actually. You know, it's a bit technical talk, really, but it's uh, it's about a good job description. Does the role fulfil what you need? Have you got the right people doing the right job? Where do you start with that? Uh, look, I, I start with uh, the core functions of the business. So you look at the systemization of the business. You look at the key functions. So you have a sales function, an operational function, and, an, and a delivery function. And then you, you build out the roles fitting around that. So if you've got six people, each role uh, has a uh, has an individual job, job description. And then as much as possible, it's tailored to that individual person. And then from there, you are then able to ensure that you, you are that the role that they're doing fits their style or their behavioural style, which is a very interesting point. Is it okay to... Um pull like a, a description off the internet and use that as if you've never hired before like yeah. a lot of people don't know where to start when it comes to writing a job description other than going look I want this person to do this this and this that's all I've got is it okay to pull off 
some of those things? What do you yeah, need to look, be aware look, of? Look, I do. I do recommend that. However, uh, and, and, as a starting point, mm-hmm. so we don't. I mean, every job, every company is its own, and particularly if we're looking at culture, as we're going to talk about, um, culture creates your own competitive advantage. Mm. So, uh, so definitely as a starting point. But there's three very simple uh, steps to building a really good job description. First thing is we just need to identify what the purpose of the role is. So very clear, couple of couple of sentences, statement. Um, second piece is what are the key responsibilities of that role person or of the role? And then thirdly is the, uh, and what are the key accountabilities? So they are the measurable outcomes that we're looking for from that person. And what about um, you've got the, you've recruited, you've got the successful applicant, you've done your job design, you know, they know what they're doing vaguely. Uh, what's the next step? So the next step is the onboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of evidence suggests that in the first ninety days, or that the first ninety days of an employee will indicate how long they're with you. Uh, if we don't look after them, if we don't uh, ensure their pay is looked after effectively, uh, we 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 train them correctly and in two areas: uh, technical skill and also people skill or soft skill, as it's often called. And uh, and if we can be successful in those f- first ninety days, we then find that there is uh, the retention uh, of the of that of that employee is is extended. When you talk to small businesses, do they go ninety days? Shouldn't the person be up and running by then? And I need this person to be doing this yesterday. That's why I'm hiring them. Do you ever get a little bit of pushback about that that time frame? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and really, the ninety days is about nurturing them through. So of course we need them to do their role, mm. but we've also got to have a. We've, uh, that's one of the areas I like to challenge is the mindset about bringing new people on. Um, we, 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 you know, unless you've got a uh, cookie cutter approach, uh, yes, they're going to bring their skills to the table, but we've got to we've got to absorb them into the into the business. And so you've got the the employee. How do you how do you hang on to them? Because I I think I speak to every small business and everybody doesn't matter what sector they're in, com- not so much complains but says it's just so difficult a to find the right people, but then to hang on to them. It seems as though this next generation are quite happy to flip between one job to the next. You know, every twelve months. What do you say to those sort of people? Um, are you of the thinking that you shouldn't be hanging on to people like they you own them, or do you believe that with correct nurturing and looking after, you can potentially have a staff member that stays with you for a long time? Yeah, I I, um, I take the approach that's about the engagement. So how do we get them engaged? And the you know the engagement, and it's the same at a, at a for a customer as well as a one team member team. Uh, the engagement is actually the emotional connection between that employee and the company or the or the business's goals and 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 vision. Um, that leads to uh, discretionary effort. So the more engaged they are, the more discretionary effort they put in. So therefore, they put they're, they're more connected to the business, mm. and that's what we want them to be connected. Yeah. So uh, and and that's the really that's the challenging piece because we've got to spend time, we've got to be present, uh, and we've got to give them uh, a balance between income and and pay versus the other things that they want. And and the the newer generation coming through is very folk is less focused. In fact, pay is third on the list. They want experience and they also want to be trained and learning new skills. And so that's where your soft and it's really the soft skills that they're really interested in. You know how to deal with conflict, how to uh, how to communicate effectively, uh, and all those sorts of areas. And that's where they that's where the, that's where you get that that engagement and long term retention. Is this a fallout from our kids, or this generation who are coming through to the workforce, being completely disengaged because of? screen overuse? Absolutely. Yes. Wow. So they're going, I'm craving the connection and the learning that I've lacked 
because I didn't get that one-on-one. Um, yeah, I believe so. Wow. I believe so. And and you know, I, and I think the generational conversations got a lot of hairs on it as well. I think it, I think there's a, there are some there are some some common um, uh, factors there. However, I believe that if that human nature is human nature, and if we're treated well, uh, we we're respected, uh, where our opinions are listened to and acted upon, uh, we uh, we've got a good friendship group within our within our peers. They will be engaged and they will stick with the organisation or the business. Well, we've got a really interesting discussion happening today here on Triple H with Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We're talking to Jim Davidson, who is a performance coach, and uh, we're talking all about teams. Um, interesting discussion, Jim, because we are the largest employer, aren't we, in uh, in Australia? Small we are, business absolutely. sector. Small business, yep. As I said to Michaela Cash the other day, saying, don't worry, we've got the employment figures. We've got this. We're fine. We're taking care of that for you. So... It is a little bit about, you know, nurturing that, that younger generation that's coming through. What about the older generation? Because obviously um, I imagine that small business is picking up the slack that corporate is, you know, dropping people like hot potatoes when they get close to long service leave and all this sort mm. of stuff and making people early retire. Um, are we good as a sector at valuing people who are a little bit older or do you think we've got a lot of work to do in that space? I actually think we've got a lot of work to do in that space. I think I think there is a fear, particularly in the older generation um, of employees, uh, that they can't get re-employed. And, and because, oh, we need uh, young and hungry, for example, whereas um, what's wrong with wise and grey? And, yeah. uh, and um, I'm bordering on the grey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but what's, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with wise and grey? And I think sometimes really this is where the you know the the emotional intelligence of the business owner is actually uh, the thing to be challenged there is because it's uh, there you know often a, an older person will be perceived to be set in their ways or even perceived as a threat to the organization because they uh, they they're going to do it their way and they're not going to do it the way that the, that I want to see it happen as a business owner and uh, I think we if if we harness that energy and harness the the experience that that person has uh, they can become great mentors for for a younger generation that are coming through, and I think mm. uh, you know employee and team mentoring is is very very uh, very underutilized. Well, lots of great things to talk about today here on Triple H one hundred point one FM with Small Biz Matters. We're going to take a quick break here with some community service announcements, and we'll be back after this. So, Jim, today we've been talking about performance management and specifically, um, I guess, what was interesting about the discussion before the break, those of you who have just joined us, we've got Jim Davidson here. He's talking all about performance management in the small business uh, scenario because it is different from corporate. And what was really interesting about the discussion we had was that it's different from compliance. So we think of um, HR as ticking boxes. We think of them as KPIs. We think of it as hiring and firing and what do I need to do to make sure I cover myself for unfair dismissal and all that stuff, when in actual fact, we don't really think of performance management. Um, And we were covering the seven steps just before the break. Now, we got up to learning and development, the importance of keeping people um, educated along their journey, particularly in the first three months. Yep, three months, absolutely. And that helps with, of course, the next step, which is retention. Which is retention, yes, yes. It's hard. It's hard to keep good staff. It is very hard to keep. Uh, And I I often hear, you know, we, we often and say, or I hear a lot of people say, "Oh, my business would be so easy if I could if I could keep good people." And I always have a bit of a joke because okay, that keeps me in a job, which is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, look, I mean, the retention is just is just about the engagement. It's treating them well, but but it's not being um, overly soft either. You know, I, I think I think people look for strong leadership, and that's a, that's a big piece. And they look to know where they stand, how they're doing in their job, and how they can contribute at a greater level. And and that's really the key. It sounds to me like communication 
communication is pretty important when you're talking to your staff. Yeah, communication is number one. So when I when I step into a business, uh, I, the very first thing I do is I, I identify where the communication structures are at. Mm. Um, are they holding meetings for meeting's sake or are they holding the correct style of meeting? Um, and uh, so we'll, the first thing, and I could work on it for months with a business to, uh, to actually implement the correct communication structures. Um, it might be a WhatsApp group. It might be a regular weekly meeting. Are we having one-on-one meetings with our team members? Uh, are we doing the re- performance reviews on a, on a regular basis? So communication, absolutely vital. So do you get pushback from the small business community who says, I haven't got the time to spend sitting down one-on-one with even my team of three and you're telling me that I need to grow? How, how am I going to even... How am I going to get beyond that time factor issue? Is it is it just they don't need to be short and, short and sharp but regular or is it better to sit down with someone for, say, an hour a month and just really talk through what their concerns, where they'd like to learn and grow? What, what are, how do those discussions go? Yeah, so, so yes, the time factor is always uh, very important but we also – and it's always raised. I don't have time. Mm. And, uh, and I say, well, uh, w- w- what's going to happen if we don't make the time? Uh, what, where does the business go if we don't make the time? Uh, and then we br- really bring it back to basics and say, look, if, if you believe that the people are the foundation of your business, yeah. well, we must make the time for it. And, uh, and so uh, that's a really important piece. So, the, yeah, time, absolutely, 100%, big issue. So once you've got this retention and you've mm. managed to grab hold of staff, and obviously they're not going to stay with you forever, um, succession planning is not something that's really thought about much in, in your next step, which is mm. when you're talking about succession planning, you're talking about the business or are you talking about succession planning for people? No, I'm talking about, I'm actually talking about internal people for succession planning. And that could be for the business as well. However, predominantly it's about, uh, it's about having um, uh, effectively a pipeline of people to fulfill roles within the, in the business. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because if you, uh, if you develop a manager and they've, they've come to the, to the, you know, the, to the, to the top of their game within your business and they've spent good time with you, they've contributed and you're happy to give them their, your blessing to go on to greater pastures, uh, who's going to fill those shoes? And quite often that's the big problem is that we haven't fulfilled these shoes and so therefore we find a big hole and then we keep people longer in the business than actually what they, they're happy for and realistically what they're happy to be in the business for as well. Does good succession planning, is it just as simple as bringing someone else on with a decent length of handover, which to me, all small businesses out there are going to go, well, I've just doubled my 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 costs in terms of payroll because I've got to bring someone on into that role, plus I've got to keep the other person in that role. Or do you make the person who's leaving spend the last six months of their job writing a manual? Yeah, absolutely. Writing a manual is vital. So getting the systemization, uh, getting all the basics, getting the how-tos, uh, and, uh, and then really that's how you get consistency in your business. And and, um, you know, if you if you if you read Michael Gerber's the E Myth and the uh, E Myth Revisited, that's what he talks about: is getting all of those systems in there so you can get consistency, and you can also replace yourself and others um, because then you can go off and uh, I guess uh, chase the bigger fish, so mm. to speak. So, would succession planning also involve one of the KPIs for everyone in your business to be write your own job manual? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, there's and your first KPI. There's everyone. your first KPI. <laughs> write a job. Write a job manual. Um, and uh, in fact, I was only working with somebody yesterday talking about that exact thing. He rang me, said, "Right after our last chat, Jim, we, uh, you know, I'm, my big focus is going to be about uh, getting my my manual written." And and there's lots of softwares you can use for that, or it's just simply word a word document. So, what's the pushback you get over that? Because time. It, yeah, time yeah, again, time. And, taking and, and, people out of the business to do that. That's exactly right. And so I think there's and and as I said to this gentleman yesterday, there's really there's three options. One, you uh, one you write it yourself. 
uh, two, you find someone in your business that can write it, or three, you get somebody in uh, to to assist you to write it, i.e. an external consultant, an external person who knows the business, mm. and you invest in that time because it, you know the, the, talking about return on investment is very very high if you can get if you can get the systemization and the consistency in place. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good plan. It could be just someone as simple as transcribing someone sitting there with a dictaphone. Absolutely, shown my age there a bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with uh, with you know literally saying this is what I do from the beginning of the day to the end. This is yep. what happens on Fridays. This is this yeah. is the process for this. This is how we engage with clients in this regard. So it sounds like a, a bit of a, it, it does sound very process, but I suppose that's that's the importance of it is to have yeah, something and it's very and it's actually not as it's actually not as difficult the first thing you do is you start with a with a flow chart so you effectively flow mm. cha- chart out the roles and you can do it on a whiteboard you can do it on paper and you you literally flow flow them out then you break each of the each of the components of the flow chart into a dot point checklist and then and then as you get in more detail you then uh, detail out each of the che- of the dot point checklist items right. and there and you've created yourself a, a system yeah and then you can put your videos your you know your uh, your PDFs or whatever you want in around them as well. And your how-to, you've got your, the documents. Got your training manual. Yeah. yeah. And that, I guess that's why it's important to have it for every role in the business, whether it be sales or operational or, or whatever it is, because everybody's a, a piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've uh, we've done some succession planning around writing a, a, some um, some manuals, and, and we've talked about you know the handover, mm. moving from one person to the next in the same role. Um, when do you think it's important to bring in someone for performance coaching? I mean, I'm sure you're probably going to say all the time, but um, ah. when do you know things are starting to slip through slip through the cracks a little bit? Yeah. So I think so. Um, so it might it might sound strange, but I I don't actually think you need to bring someone in like me. At the, all the time, uh, if if the business owner or there is somebody in the business who has got a skill in performance coaching mm. and has got a belief around performance reviews, and really performance reviews are simply a version of performance coaching, and uh, and and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I come from a philosophy of continuous performance management. So the 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 old school approach of uh, once a year we're going to do a performance review, and we might look at your pay while we're at it. Uh, all those things are just are just they just don't operate and they don't work well anymore. What what we what I recommend and I highly recommend it is you actually do shorter quarterly reviews and performance coaching sessions with your team members, and uh, and then we make that up uh, through uh, also either a weekly or a fortnightly check in mm-hmm. uh, each week with with each team member. And what what you'll find and what I what I absolutely see is a, is a consistency of of performance increase in that period, and your and and the the employee is getting to a performance review not hearing any new news. Um, and they're just getting confirmation around where they're doing well and where their opportunities are. What do you discuss with an employee in a check-in, for example? Like, yeah. how does that conversation go? Is it literally like just brushing past their desk and going, how you doing? Yeah, it's a little bit more structured. So um, I encourage, and we certainly do it in our business, uh, uh, where we send a, we have an automated email that goes out, which asks the employee uh, four or five key questions. And it'll be, what, do you, what, 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 what have you achieved this week? Uh, what, what are you working on this week? What are your key projects? Uh, what can you stop doing this week? Uh, because most of us think to improve, we're actually going to do more. Oh. We've actually got to do less. So we want to get focused. We want to get the employee stop looking at Facebook every time they got an email. I was going to say, I did think of or, social media then. <laughs> yeah, or even websites. So what 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 what, what behaviour can we stop doing? Uh-huh. And then finally, I always encourage business owners to ask the question, uh, how can I help? Okay. 
Yeah. So that it's, it, and I like the idea of an automated email mm. that goes out from you as the business owner automatically, and yep. the response coming back from the employee is almost like, okay, that's right, I've got to do this at this point in time. Yes, and, and then you use now. you use their the employee's response as the agenda for the conversation. Oh, okay. And then and then you tie in their their KPIs and some of their the cultural uh, questions that you would be talking to them about on their uh, uh, quarterly review, and uh-huh. then it creates a really good solid conversation for fifteen minutes only. Yeah. Um, but it allows you to really check in and, and, and what it does is then and ensures that your employee feels as though you are highly connected to them. What do you do if you've got a staff of say, say you know, you work at the the local um, garage yeah. and you've got a staff of 15 or 20? Yes. How can a small business owner realistically with that large number mm. actually get round to everybody? Is this where you need to start bringing someone else in or maybe just lowering the number of times you check in with everyone? Uh, look, I, th- I think when, once, a, once an individual gets above 8 to 12 direct reports, our ability to lead that team effectively uh, becomes challenged. Mm. So what, what I would be recommending very heavily there is potentially team leads yeah. who take a few additional responsibilities, who can look after a group, and then those people would then do those check-ins. So you, you, you have to recognise the fact that you have limitations for yes. managing staff. And 8 to 10, I mean, even 8 to 10 is quite a large group, yeah. isn't it? Yes. So do you, do you find a way in which to start structuring out your business where you can see who's the natural manager, who's the natural team leader, and maybe they take uh, responsibility for a smaller, younger or less experienced group, I shouldn't be ageist there, <laughs> uh, where they, they, they look after those smaller groups. And maybe that's a good way to bring people up the management spectrum. Well, that's spectrum. part of the succession planning. And, yeah. if, and if you can, if you can te- uh, teach them uh, those basic skills of leadership, you, you're really giving them a, a lifelong skill. Yeah. And uh, so I think, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because you, um, I, I, I uh, am doing some work with an in- individual at the moment that has 34 direct reports, very flat line, and, uh, and they really struggle with this piece. And Do so they even have an executive assistant to help them with no, all that? They don't. Wow, that's no, madness. they don't. So we're, we're restructuring their team and uh, and putting in eight team leads. So there's an example. So your seven steps, and, mm. and, and you know, the last step, of course, is disciplinary process. And you know, we could make an entire show just about that. Is that what you would consider to be a bit of a pipeline, um, a people pipeline, if yes, you wish? Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think the, the the people pipeline is as important as your sales pipeline. And if uh, and if you uh, if you are able to keep people within that pipeline, keep them retained over a long period of time, uh, then you then you you've got an, uh, you're going to you're going to increase your profitability there uh, because you're not hiring new people you're not spending time on training them you're not buying new uniforms you're not uh, you know you're not having to reinvest in things that is that effectively becomes dead money when somebody walks out of your business mm. and let's quickly talk about that just before we go to a break let's mm. quickly talk about that whole walking out of a business thing um how damaging is that to the performance of your team when someone, I mean, for whatever reason, it might not necessarily be because they're disgruntled, yeah. but for one reason or another, they just leave. Um, how do you plan to uh, to not have that void have such a huge impact on your business? Yeah, so I mean, look, systemization is the primary piece there. So, so we and, and it's also cross uh, cross training. So, uh, you know, I, I started my uh, I started my professional world at McDonald's, and uh, and cross training was heavily heavily driven into us. You needed to know how to cook a Big Mac, how to cook a cheeseburger, how to cook a fillet of fish, and then as you went along, you were then also then taught how to operate on the front counter. And then if you really stuck it out, you might have even got put in drive through. And so all of a sudden, someone's not there. Well, you've then got 
uh, flexibility um, within the workforce to be able to, uh, to to do that. So having that cross training is absolutely vital to to that that. Uh, people leaving and the other major impact is is getting information out of people's heads particularly in small business um, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure that a lot of us are aware of this and have felt this but someone leaves and they take all of that IP with them and uh, they, they might have developed a whole head of, heap of processes on your behalf and they've left mm. and uh, and quite often what happens then uh, when people uh, um, probably should be leaving the business. We don't ask them to leave uh, because we need, to hang, on to, we need to hang yeah. on to them. But culturally, that has a massive impact. Whereas if you make it a part of that process where gradually they're building up the IP for you, I mean, the, realist, the realism is that we need to understand that people leave and they Absolutely. do take those processes yeah. and they grow and they take it with them. But I suppose once they've gone, you can't get that back. You, no. you don't really have a right to go, mate, can you just sit down and write that all down? So you need to do it as a, a constant throughout their employment. Yeah, that's correct. And, and you know, there's organised... I mean, I, I think one of the, the, the classic in there is an IT, is the IT firms who, you know, there's so, all so many bits of technica, technicality in there. And uh, to be able to, to get a, a, a... You know, how do you document all of those different processes? So making it part of the day-to-day workflow is, is a really important piece to get get those documents, get that information, get that IP under control. So when somebody does leave, we don't necessarily have that big void of information and, and, and panic sets in. I just came across an actually fantastic piece of software that's completely free called Loom. Loom. And you can actually uh, video your screen and your voice and your uh, camera if you want to, but really your voice and your video where you can take people through technically, maybe in a piece of software online, yep. the steps that you go to, to do something. And it's a great training tool, but you could build that up as a bank of um, of resource. Absolutely. Uh, and it's completely free as yeah, well, which yeah. is Yeah, some other ones that I've looked at is uh, and worked with is Evernote. I mean, Evernote mm. as, a, as a good platform. Uh, you can put everything you need into those. Uh, there's a really good one that I've been looking at more recently called Trainual. Um, and it's, uh, it's actually designed for this particular thing. So it's about purely about documenting your procedures in-house. Um, it's a subscription. Um, you know, I think it's about 90 bucks a, a month or something. It's not, not super cheap, um, but the, effective, the effectiveness of that is very significant. And, um, yeah, and we, we do a certain bit of that in our software as well, yeah. so, but, but not to the full depth of a full training manual. Well, it's a great starting point, really, to just Absolutely. start to get the ball rolling. We're going to take a quick break here on Triple H 100.1 FM. You're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Triple H 100.1 FM. You're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boy. Today we're talking all about small business and performance management. How do you manage that as a team when in fact we are all teams in small business? Even if it's just a team of one, we often have to manage ourselves. But we're talking more to people who have got perhaps teams of about five to ten. You're starting to grow. That might become a little bit unwieldy. Um, and just before the break, Jim was taking us through his seven steps of great performance management. Uh, in particular, chronologically, which I thought was quite interesting from the beginning where you're beginning to advertise for the job and really understand what that role is, all the way through to retention and then, you know, the icky part, which is a bit of when people leave and the dismissal and and how you handle that. So let's talk about um, great teams. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about (laughs) how do you recognize when you've, I guess, nailed it? How do you know when your team is really functioning well and it's... um, 
I guess I guess it's working cohesively. It's not mm. just about that operational side of things, is it? How do you know? What, what great things can you recognise? Well, I think the first thing is there's a feeling. Uh, there's absolutely a feeling about the team. There is a high level of camaraderie. Uh, there's a high level of commitment to each other. There's a, there's a really positive air in the culture of the business, mm. and that's when you know you've got it. But unfortunately, a lot of the time we don't know uh, how to describe it when we see it, and we're not sure, quite sure what it is because it's not something that's tangible. And sometimes um, we can think it's great, but it's not. Yes. And that's always yes. a bit of a danger because you might just be riding high on a great sales figure and you just go, well, my team's awesome because we're making lots of money when the team's sitting there going, I'm really disgruntled, I really just want to leave. Absolutely. So how do you recognise, um, I guess, from a team perspective when it's working well? Yeah, so that, that that absolutely comes out in the communication structure. So when you're having your, your check-ins, when you're having your performance reviews, when you're having your monthly team meetings, and, and it's about sharing successes and opening those discussions discussions up and getting the feedback. It's also when doing performance reviews, checking in on satisfaction levels and reviewing satisfaction levels and reviewing feedback that's been given uh, that will then give you effectively is the barometer about where uh, where things are really at. What sort of questions can you ask to check on the satisfaction levels of your staff without... Um I don't, want, I don't want to say open a, a tin of worms because you, mm. sometimes you can yes. and that's okay as well. But um, how do you get that information out of them confidently that they don't feel like there's going to be any repercussions, repercussions for them being honest? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things. One, one, if we have developed a, a more mature culture and, and from that there, there is a, there's a, 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 an ability to have candour. So we work on uh, the, uh, you having candour and developing candour within the business mm-hmm. and within the team. Mm-hmm. So we, we need and, and really what you want to be doing there is you've got to create an environment where there's emotional trust. Um, and it, there's a, you know, and, and it's about being able to trust that if I say something to you, that that, that, that I can trust that you're going to respond and react. That's going to be respectful to me mm. and to the greater team. Mm. So once we can develop and the very first step of understanding, have we got a uh, have we got a business and a great team? Is uh, is recognising is there a really strong sense of emotional trust within the business? And I suppose that comes back way what we were saying before the break about communication. Yes, that that. If somebody comes to you and there's an issue that you don't sweep it under the carpet, you don't ignore it, you deal with it, maybe you get into some external help to help you and recognise when you're not doing so well. How do you how do you create a sense that you're not perfect either? As a, and, and I guess that's building that trust as well. Yeah. You're saying, well, I'm I'm fallible as well, and I can apologise. It's a, it's a really hard balance, isn't it, as a leader? Yeah. Look, I think I think there's a there's a, there is a balance there, and it's about creating that vulnerability. It's 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 allow you know one of the authenticity and vulnerability. Now they're 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 reasonably buzzy words, but but at the end of the day, that's what they are. And 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 to be a strong leader, the, the, you you have to allow yourself to become vulnerable. You have to open up to your team. You have to open up, in particular, small businesses, to say, you know what, I'm not doing that well today, or I'm I'm frustrated today, or hey, I feel really let down because. Uh, I, uh, you know, this client has um, has dropped us, um, and so being able to share that and and being having a good level of transparency is the way of developing that, and that's how you. What I like to defer, uh, refer to as earning the will of the team is by by getting in with that vulnerability. If you don't have that quality, though, mm. are you suggesting that? It's not possible for you to be um, a small business leader with a with a team. Is if you don't if you don't have the. I mean, there are literally people out there who cannot. I guess be vulnerable, mm. and they are always so forthright and 
dictatorial. Yes. Are they just not cut out for small business, or certainly for managing a small team? No, I, no, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think that what that is is simply um, uh, an emotional intelligence skill, mm-hmm. and uh, and the importance about understanding emotional intelligence is it's a skill, not a born gift. <laughs> right. Um, so so therefore, the people that may not be as vulnerable have probably got some very strong emotional intelligence skills elsewhere. Uh, however, the uh, the actual skill of being vulnerable is something that can be taught and developed. Yeah, yeah. So it can be. So you don't Absolutely have to panic out there if you go, I, I know I'm not very good at these things. Mm. Do I have to say to myself And we're not good be? at all things. No, that's true. Um, the, as, as you know, the, there's 26 competencies in emotional intelligence um, and I reckon you've only got to be good at five of them and you're doing well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, phew. That makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so... You also mentioned in, in, in our in the discussions as well about um, outcome trust. Can you explain to me what that is when you're looking at performance management of a team? Yeah, so it's really about it's really about trusting that everybody within the within the organisation is focused on the outcome, and and it connects back to that engagement piece. So we want that we want that emotional connection between the outcome of the business or the goals and objectives and the team member or the employee. So um, a team has to be outcome driven uh, because we, as a small business and all business, is outcome driven. We we're in business to make money and therefore the, the, the money is the profitability at the bottom line and that ultimately needs to be the outcome. Um, you know, but, and, uh, and so that's why that's what with the team has to be outcome driven. If, um, you know, if, if you're playing a, a sport, uh, the, the outcome of the game is to score a goal. Uh, so therefore, everything we're doing, or or, or kick a try, or you score, uh, you know, uh, uh, you score a, a goal, um, and then then you're able to, um, you know, all know what you're aiming for. Mm. It's about how we go about it that makes a difference. And this is what ties in with um, the importance of always checking in with your team, because I suppose your outcomes evolve as a business, you know, with downturns or seasonality. Yeah. And again, this is why you need to be on top of your numbers and understand, you know, what the the busier and more fruitful times of year are. Yes. Um, and maybe even what to do with your team when it's quieter. That's when they do their manuals, for example. That's exactly right. That's where they do their manuals or they get cleaning. <laughs> so uh, they tidy everything up. Yeah. Um, but look, that's why we recommend quarterly strategy sessions amongst the team. So, you you know, you're bringing the leadership team together or the or the organisation just to review where things have been at and where we're we going over the next three months again. Um, and so uh, that's a very important piece to, to review the numbers. In fact, I recommend you reviewing the numbers at minimum monthly, if not weekly. Um, so some organisations uh, look at their numbers daily in depth. And so I think it's really important to ensure that we've got there is a consistent communication and a consistent system around the connection of the business planning to the day-to-day activity of your team. And that's definitely in the, uh, in the strategy sessions allow that process to happen. I think we've all worked for a company out there who's been very um, secretive about their profits or their day-to-day activities when it comes to money. Um, mm. Is that something you've just got to get over? Because obviously when you're a small business owner and it's all about you, the transition into sharing that knowledge with other people can be a little bit scary. Yeah. But is that a must, knowing that your team knows what the numbers are? Do you think that's crucial? I think it's crucial. Uh, I I know there are owners and business owners out there who don't want to share that information and that's okay. Um, However, I I personally believe it is crucial Mm. and and what that does is gives gives a deeper connection. It shows a trust. um, I was um, I, in my early career in McDonald's um, as a store manager. I 
uh, my business owner, my friend, my licensee, uh, was very, very transparent with the numbers. And so therefore, um, I shared his success when I knew he was making good money. And I also shared his downs when he was not making good money. Um, and so therefore, I was then able to tailor myself, my own performance and the performance of my team around me, the 120 team members that I had, um, to, to make sure that we were working towards that common goal. And, and that was to make some money. And you couldn't have done that if you hadn't known the numbers. No. Right. And I think that, so I think that transparency, the, the, the problem that we find is that, um, you know, we, as a business owner, sometimes we, we, we just want to protect ourselves because sometimes the numbers below the line don't tell a great story. Yeah. And so there's, um, you know, there's pride, there's, there's embarrassment, uh, there's ego, uh, there's all those things that are in place that we, uh, that we want to try and put aside. And, uh, and, and because, uh, it's a very lonely place at the top of a business, and and I think it's sometimes you know to be able to share some of that in and have a lot more transparency with our teams mm. uh, is uh, can actually have a massive impact. Look, we've learned stacks and stacks about uh, performance management today. Um, just before we finish, I want you to share with me a little bit about this project that you're working on. We've got a few minutes left. Tell me about um, oh, something that you are your other passion. Yeah, my other passion, the fathering project. Yes. Yes. Well, um, my uh, my daughters, or one of my daughters now, uh, and my oldest daughters left, but uh, is go to Pennant Hills Public School, and uh, we we held a, uh, a a camp while I was the PNC president there, and uh, we held a camp that was effectively uh, sponsored by the Fathering Project, and a gentleman by the name of Sean Johns came down and spoke down at Crosslands, and um, and there was 50, 60 dads standing around with this camp, uh, seven o'clock in the morning in October. It was the wettest weekend in a year year um, and everyone had absolutely loved it and Sean got up and told us the story about the fathering project and uh, and there were there were grown men with a tear in their eyes talking about the connection with their kids the how important it is uh, for for daughters to know that they're beautiful on the inside and the outside and for, for sons to be uh, uh, to believe that their 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 dads believe in them and uh, I just walked away from that in fact I walked away from that meeting walked around the campsite went back up to Sean and said Sean how can I get involved um, and so today I run the uh, I'm effectively the I run the the northwest area for the fathering project and uh, and we work in school programs and that's basically our core piece but what we're what we're absolutely about is building community of dads mm. and communities of dads and uh, and how we can uh, w- how we can work with dads and, and promote uh, the outcome so what we talk about is preventing kids harm and 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 the role of, of dads in particular in that in the in the prevention of kids harm so you work with primary schools and high schools yeah primary schools high schools sporting groups mm-hmm. uh, in fact we're going to uh, I'm, I'm uh, in the process of launching uh, a meetup group that's not actually connected with a particular school. Right, so it's just an opportunity for people to come together with their children, or just to learn. Uh, about what, we, d- what we do, uh, the, the meetup will be actually uh, dads only, uh-huh. uh, and what we do is promote uh, dads only events and also kids and dads events. Um, and the dads only is an opportunity to talk about uh, talk about dads, how they how they interact with their kids. Some of us have got success stories, and I'm sure we've all got uh, uh, what we see as failure stories, um, and we want to encourage that conversation and really it's we want to get a conversation about fathering and the outcome of our kids and particularly in the areas of kids mental health uh drug addictions youth suicide and uh and uh, you know inappropriate sexual behavior ex- and all those things that connect in there mm. and uh and also uh school performance and also social performance and how can people find out more about that if they're part of a community group that would like to be involved yeah look if uh, if you go to the fathering project um dot org uh, dot au uh, sorry 
org, um, and there is information there, and uh, you uh, you can easily get, you'll you'll get in touch with me there through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm always happy to have a chat to people about the Fathering Project anytime. Excellent. And tell us a little bit quickly how people can get hold of you for performance culture. Oh, look, I, I think the uh, the best one at the moment. I've got a, my website is coming. Yeah. Uh, Performanceculture.team. <laughs> I've been in business for ten years, and I've, n- I've finally decided I need a website. Um, so, but I can be found on LinkedIn, Jim yeah. Davidson, and also uh, Performance Culture Australia on Facebook, um, and all of those things can get us uh, get us connected. So. Excellent. Well, make sure you check out uh, Jim's Facebook page. Thank you so much for joining us today on the program. Yeah. Look, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it, and uh, you know, I, li- I like to share the message, and uh, you know, I appreciate your time today. For, no for worries. Me. Now you can catch up on today's podcast via our iTunes uh, application. If you've got iTunes, you can get over 70 Small Biz Matters podcasts available. Plus there's 130 on our website. If you've missed any of today's program, it will be live on the website probably within about three or four days. Thanks so much for joining me. We've got another great guest coming along next week. We've got Ingrid Thompson, who is an author specialising in setting up your business.